What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam Kalal, and we are Atlanta Zone, two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports, black ass hijinks, and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? What's wrong? You don't have a, a nickname for me anymore? I, I did, but you didn't You didn't think it was, was very appropriate for uh, the elderly or the or the youthful folks in our audience, so no no more nick. You lose your nickname privileges. With oh, man. I look forward to those every week. I, I, it was it was a little vulgar, and no more vulgar than anything we normally say, right? But normally, like you chop in a little vulgarity, like in the middle of a point, and it's usually a little deeper in the episode than the intro. That that was just my two cents there. So yeah, I, it was sort of like a sex. Now that I have your attention, sort of thing. Right, right. It, it felt it yeah, felt right. a little cheap, Graham. It felt a little cheap. I, I feel like we're we're sure. better than that. We're better than that. We are professionals. Damn it! How's that? Damn it! Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's perfectly fine. They they can play that on Fox. If they can say it on Fox, we can say it here. Anyways, so how the hell are you doing? Doing pretty good, Graham. <laughs> doing okay. Uh, you know, we got spring training and full. Full gear right now, which is which is fantastic because it's we're nearing the one year COVID anniversary. Where last year at this time was right when things were starting to shut down. We had no idea what was going on. Didn't realize we'd be missing about four to five months of baseball. And now you look at spring training, they they've done a great job getting the players in. I think like they only had like three positive tests out of all the teams and personnel when they first came in. That's fantastic. You've seen a few fans in the crowd out there down there in Florida now. So things are trending positively. We got March Madness, and I know you said that was the big one for you, where once March Madness shut down last year, that's when you realized, oh, this shit's real. So ACC tournament started today. My Clemson Tigers play tomorrow at 2.30. Very excited about that. And, yeah, you know, we got 70-degree weather outside right now, Graham. What's not to like? Yeah, spring is sprung. Baseball is coming. March Madness is pretty much here with the conference tournament starting, as you mentioned. So it's it's an exciting time. And we're also just the world in general, even though we don't really talk about the outside world that much. It's good to see, you know, people getting vaccinated and shit, and hopefully we're getting closer and closer to a somewhat return to normalcy in the next few months. Um, things are looking up in the sports world and hopefully in, in the world at large, and it's it's a good, good day to be alive. Have you attempted to scam the system yet and take a vaccine from a poor old grandma who needs it really bad? I have not. I have not. Have you? No, I have not either. It's a thing nowadays, though, Graham. So I wasn't going to do it, but you, you kind of seg- segued me into it with this COVID talk, or maybe I started the COVID talk. can't remember. But just in terms of the fans being back, and it's still like really small crowds. Uh, the Hawks were saying this week that they're going to reopen the upper deck of State Farm Arena. So they've been letting in about 1,500 people, and that's just like season ticket holders. Now, for the first time, you can actually go and buy a ticket online. They're going to let in about 1,200 more people, so it's like still well under 20% capacity. Right. But you're going to see some new promotions, and I saw one online today from the Bucks, and I wanted to do a – I guess it started with 790 The Zone, Steak Shapiro, who's no longer on 
sports radio, but I wanted to do a buy or sell with you, Graham. Oh, an old buy or sell from the front row, sure. Buy or sell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like how the front row acted like they invented buy or sell when it's been on dozens of other... They didn't really say that, but they kind of had this attitude about it. For I always picked up on it as if they invented it. And it's been around on sports shows forever. Talk well, shows, radio shows, what TV... Hell, newspaper steak, columns. You steak know? invented it. Oh, I mean, Steak invented that buy or sell back at 790 The Zone, according to Steak Shapiro, anyways. Yeah, yeah, okay. So 15 years ago, he was the first person to think of that. Makes sense. But but Brian Finneran and John Michaels are still doing it, which seems a little weird to me. But the quick buy or sell I wanted to do with you, Graham, is because do of your COVID. Best steak Shapiro impression. Buy or sell. Hand sanitizer cam instead of the kiss cam at games. Buy or sell? I sell the kiss cam in general. I, I sell the concept. What about the hand like, sanitizer cam? This isn't the kiss cam. This is the hand sanitizer cam. I, I Buy sell or the sell. hand sanitizer cam. Buy or sell. It's too. a simple answer. Buy or sell. Okay, sell steak. Sell steak. You're selling the hand so sanitizer? What, you don't like hand sanitizer? I use hand sanitizer more than anybody. I just don't think we... I don't want to... You know, especially if I'm going to a damn game, I do not want to be reminded about COVID. That reminds me of sanitizer is just inherently tied to COVID for the rest of our lives. It's just the COVID's way it is. part of our life now, Graham. You got, you got to, you know, endorsing hand sanitizer is a good thing. I'm not saying endorsing it is a bad thing. I'm saying I don't want to think about it. When I watch sports, I don't want to hear about COVID. If I'm going to a game, especially now, which I wouldn't, but if I were to, I don't want to hear about that shit. I want to just focus on the game. Well, these stadiums have COVID protocols, Graham. COVID protocols. You're going to hear I about understand. it if you go to a game. I know, but I'm just saying, when I'm in the stadium and I'm watching the game, and they can announce, you know, keep your distance and all that stuff, that's fine. But we don't need we don't need unnecessary reminders about something that's wreaked havoc on the world for over a year now. So you're so, selling it. I'm selling it, Stakey. I'm selling it. Buy or sell hot dogs and a beer at a game. Hot dogs and a beer. It depends on I, – I, I buy it. I'm not a beer fan, as you know, but I'm all for people doing what they want. I enjoy hot dogs as much as anybody. I have yet to find a great hot dog in Atlanta at a game, though. So if you're saying, if I'm going to a game in Atlanta, I sell. If I'm going to a game in another state, maybe I'll buy. Buy or sell a hoagie. Where do you get, where do you get your best hoagie in Atlanta, Grant? Buy or sell. Where do I get my best hoagie? I don't think I've ever had a hoagie steak. <laughs> I know you're a well-versed connoisseur of, of food and eateries within the city, but I, I am not a big hoagie guy, even though I love sandwiches. What's your favorite hoagie? You got to go to Woody's, midtown area. You, you get yourself a cheesesteak there, couple beers, some fries, Woody's. It's as good as it gets down here, Graham, Woody's. But does Woody's serve hoagies or cheesesteaks? Well, they're known for their cheesesteak, but you can get a hoagie there. Okay. So it's not really a place known for their hoagies, but that's, that's your recommendation based off being a connoisseur of Atlanta eateries. Atlanta eats. Right, that's your show, but, you, but you're saying that's a good hoagie place even though they specialize in cheesesteaks. Steak has left the building. I, I could not summon Steaky <laughs> anymore. <laughs> but see, that's the kind of shit he would say. That was a great invitation. He was intense. We love you, Steak. We just, it's good natured ribbon. If you ever listen to this, which you won't, but if you do, well, do you want to? Should we start our show now? Let's start our show now that we've had our hybrid of the front row meets Atlanta Zone. 
We did say it was Free Talk Tuesday, Graham. You gave it is me Free permission. Talk Tuesday since that <laughs> much is going on in the Atlanta sports world. But let's start with the Atlanta Braves, Adam, who are having a pretty good spring training. I want to talk a little bit about spring training in general before we jump into this. Okay. Spring <laughs> training as a whole, with the exception of evaluating younger talent, who you know who are prospects trying to break in, or older talent who are trying to do everything they can to make the roster. Other than that, I don't really care about what happens in spring training as long as people stay healthy. Everyone freaks out, be it a good performance or a bad performance during spring training, particularly first performances. Charlie Morton went out and looked fantastic when he pitched on Sunday. Threw three innings, struck out a couple of guys, uh, didn't give up any runs. And had one walk and you know, two hits. And it looked good. But, you know, put it into context a little bit. It's the first spring training game. He's also playing the Red Sox, who sucked last year. Who knows who he's pitching against? You know, if you know, if you're watching and listening to the game. I'm just saying, it's like everybody's working on stuff, especially these first couple weeks of spring training. And Charlie Morton's an established guy. We know what he can bring to the table. My biggest thing with Charlie Morton is looking at his fastball velocity, which was at 96, which is great, and also making sure he's healthy because, you know, he had a lot of injury issues for most of the year last year until the playoffs for the Rays when he really showed up for their rotation and led them to the, you know, playing the Dodgers in the World Series. So that's how people need to approach spring training. Not necessarily the stats. Just look at, you know, are people staying healthy and are they, you know, doing the little things they need to do now, if it's a prospect or an older guy, yeah, you start paying attention to performance, certainly. But even after a week or two, you don't need to start freaking out, throwing titter, titter, Twitter temper tantrums and acting like you know what the fuck you're talking about. I just can't stand the volatility on Twitter surrounding spring training. It drives me ape shit every year, so I just want to get that off my chest before we get any silly questions from the peanut gallery or anything like that. So readjust your mindset if you haven't already especially um since it is free talk tuesday and this tuesday the braves just lost 10 to 1 and we're one out away from getting no hit so we don't want to freak out about that we also don't want to freak about the starting pitcher drew smiley who we paid 11 million dollars to where we couldn't afford a mark melanson because of paying him 11 million dollars so we definitely don't want to freak out about things like that graham No, absolutely not. So Drew Smiley got beaten around a little bit. It's a spring train. It's his first spring training start, I believe. Even if it was his second spring training start, and he had two shitty starts back to back, I'm not going to freak out yet. He actually looked pretty decent in his first start. Oh, it's his second start. Okay. Yeah. So he had one one decent start, one bad start. Snip said that he he got away from his fastball today. He was trying to get people out with his curveball too much, and then he couldn't find his fastball. So I will say the one thing I would look for out of a pitcher is, yeah, you're definitely looking to stay healthy, but you're also looking to make sure as long as their velocity is there, you're fine. So you like the perfect example is Fulty. Yeah, Fulty last year. Remember Fulty? Yeah, Fulty last year. Remember he was upper 80s. I think he averaged like 90 in his one start of the year where he got shelled by the Rays. Yeah. But – you know, I've been following Fulty, and he had his first start with the Rangers yesterday through three scoreless innings. 
and he was topping out. He threw 97 once. So Fulte might be back, not that it affects us anymore. I think that we all agree that there was no way Fulte was going to succeed in a Braves uniform, even if he comes back to have a decent career. I hope that it's not going to be like a Charlie Morton type thing where he goes on to be a Cy Young winner after a couple years of not doing much in an Atlanta Braves uniform. That's not happening. Probably not. I mean, at the end of the day, I root for Fulte. I'll probably still follow him some this year. Really, the Rangers rotation because they got Colby Allard as well. The the main point being the velocity. Like, based off Fulte throwing 90 last year, we just knew it wasn't going to be there, and that's why the Braves gave up on him after only one start because they, they could see it in spring training that he just didn't have his stuff. Yeah, and we know even when Fulte did have his – you know, even when he did have his velocity, like think about the 20, what was that, 2019 season when his velocity was everybody had no control, you know, and he got sent down to the minors and came back and was a beast for a little bit and then pitched well in that one playoff game against the Cardinals. It's like he is so up and down, such a roller coaster that, yes, he needed a change of scenery. But, I mean, case in point, even with Fulte going out there and kicking ass, that's not to say he's not going to collapse in the middle of May or something for the Rangers. Not to say that I want him to. I'm just saying it, it could happen. We can't jump to conclusions after one start or two starts or even three starts of spring or anything. Almost the entirety of spring training. It's um, I just love seeing the stuff on Twitter about Fulte when people were saying, oh, I can't believe the Braves gave up on Fulte. Look at him now. He's going to come back to bite us in the ass. And it just based off that one performance, you're going to say that? Do you have any idea what was happening the last four years, four or five years, or however long Fulte was on this team, of what Fultonavich was? Look at the track record, not one fucking game. Yeah, and we just have such a stable of young guys right now that are battling for one spot in the rotation until Sirocco comes back. So, I mean, there was no room for Fulte anymore. Like, we've moved on. He's, he's old news. He didn't pan out for us. Best of luck to him going forward, but... Yeah, I am. I'm content with that decision. And same here. Some of the best. Same here. I, you know, I if you put a gun to my head and said, would you rather see Bryce Wilson go out there in spring training or or Fulte? I'd be like Bryce Wilson every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Yeah, he's got that uh, Max Fried bulldog mentality. Fulte, he's not a bulldog. Yeah, we know he's a head. He's like me. He's a fucking head case when it comes to competition and athletics. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm in the same boat with you there. Like, yeah. We don't we don't have that inner self, and Fulte's got the. I mean, we also don't have the physical uh, means to be a professional athlete. Obviously, sure. Fulte's got the physical means, but not that uh, mental half. At least not consistently. But yeah, um, Ron Acuna is not doing too great. I know his his OPS is like five hundred or something, something awful. So I know he doesn't look hot, or might be lower than that. You know, once again, Ronnie's an established guy. I'm not worried about him at all. Well, he's never been good in spring training, I don't no. think. No. And here's another example for you. B.J. Upton, the first year that we got him, he hit like 380 in spring training. I actually went to spring training the year we got B.J. Upton and marveled at his speed and his ability to make contact. He wasn't trying to kill the ball or anything. He was just he was playing small ball. He's making good contact, though. And we all know how that ended up. So, you know, spring training is what it is. It's just guys getting into shape, and it has almost no bearing on how people play in the regular season. Think about the Braves in 2012, Chippers last year. We didn't win a spring training game, I think, until the last week of spring training. We wound up, you know, winning the wild card and only winning 96 games. So it's like 
people just need to stay healthy, and people need to get healthy, like Mike Soroka, who apparently pitched uh, some simulated games and was facing guys like Jason Kipnis, Drew Waters, Michael Harris, Travis Demerit, and Sean Kazmir, and apparently looked really good. And the Braves are saying that, you know, they're not giving a timetable on when Soroka's coming back. But our old friend David O'Brien at The Athletic is saying, and I quote, it's not unreasonable to wonder if it might be sooner than, his return might be sooner than the widespread late April, early May speculation. That's the kind of shit I get excited about when it comes to spring training. I, I do, well, first on Soroka, I do not want to rush him at all. Like, I don't want to test that. I, I just think that we have enough guys that are deserving of a starting rotation spot. We can give him, if he's ready mid-April, we can still push it to May. I don't think having Soroka in April is going to win us the division. Right. I agree with you there. I just, I, I let me rephrase, I guess what I was saying, though. Not just that he could come back sooner, but the fact that he is healthy and moving and doing things is, is exciting to me. But sure. I agree yeah. with you. There's no reason to say, hey, you're going to be the opening day starter, man, you know. Yeah, yeah, let's let's not go there. You got to – these young guys like to get ahead of themselves, but let's just do what's best for the it's – it's a long season now, 162 games again. So the, the things I do like about what I'll watch for in spring training, I mean, there's like five or six roster spots up for grabs. That's where I do think it is kind of fun to follow the box scores and see what these guys are doing. We got three or four guys battling in the bullpen for jobs, backup catchers still up there. Uh, backup shortstop ender is he going to take that fourth outfielders position like those are the things that I'm kind of looking for and like you know our everyday starting eight I'm not not concerned about what they're doing so another person to talk about Adam is Christian Pache who's presumed to have one of those eight spots that you mentioned he's looking good had an opposite field triple against the I believe it was against the Red Sox camera one of these games and the Braves have been saying that he's been working a lot on his ability to drive the ball to the opposite field, his opposite field power. So that's encouraging to see. And it would be it would be awful if Christian Pache just you know were to lay an egg offensively, and then Snicker starts thinking about Ender potentially being uh, our guy in center field or playing in a starting outfield position. So, but I don't think it's trending that way. So far, Pache looks good. Hopefully, he doesn't fall off a cliff. But even if he doesn't have the best spring in the world offensively, I still want to see him in the starting lineup if they think that the middle makeup is there for him to do that. Yeah, I mean, there's no – we have a lot invested in Pache at this point, and there's no reason to not run him out there for a couple months and see what he's got. If he doesn't have it, you've got some backup options, kind of. But, yeah, Ender was making a few rounds. He, he finally came out and did an interview for the first time in a while talking about how Ender's still an option. Ender can still do it. Don't give up on Ender. But I could think a few things that would be more disappointing, even to me, who generally I'll just go with the flow of whatever Snit says. If Ender somehow is our starting day center fielder, that would be very disappointing. Yeah, I'd have to question the direction of the entire Braves organization at that juncture. Like I'm, I'm cool with him as our fourth outfielder, especially since late in games, Ozuna's going to be getting pulled so much for defensive replacements. I think that's that's reasonable to have. Would Ender play left in that case? And Pache still in center, you think? 
Yeah, it's going to make your defense a hell of a lot better if you have Ender out there over Ozuna. If you're up in a game in the seventh or eighth inning and Ozuna, you know, Ozuna's not going to get another at bat, presumably, then you can make that call. The one thing I would get worried about is Snicker doing that a little too much and then, you know, their team comes back and then we got Ender batting where damn Ozuna is, you know, which would suck. Right. I mean, the, the other thing that's been getting talked about related to that is the lineup this year. Mm. A lot of Braves Twitter is already freaking out because, as we know, last year when we had a DH, we had Acuna first, Freddie second, and Ozuna third. But with having the pitcher hitting ninth there, I mean, Snitker has told Freddie at this point that he's going to be the number three hitter again. So wanted to see what your thoughts are on that, Graham disappointing but not unexpected it's but it's also not the end of the world it's not like saying hey Pache is hitting second now or something which we wouldn't want it's it's more so saying that yeah it makes sense for the pitcher hitting there that I guess you could bump Freddie down but I still think it's just just a we we've, it worked the thing is is that it worked even though I know the circumstances have changed it's kind of like what is my, my question I guess would be what is it what does it do now to make that move other than oh the pitcher's batting well, yeah, I mean, just give more protection for the pitcher, I guess, at this point. Have Freddie batting a little lower? Because I think yeah, Ozzy's hitting second now, right? I'd imagine it's either Ozzy or Dansby that'll be hitting second. Like, Dansby did a great job in that role at times as well. But, yeah, I mean, it's just because there's an automatic out hitting ninth now when that lineup turns around, the guy hitting second isn't going to have as many runners on base to drive in. So we might not have the, as many runners on base to drive in potentially, but he's also going to get potentially less at bats. Like it's one of those things where it's 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 sort of like you it's it's a, it's a strategy thing, right? Where you think about okay, he might be able to drive more guys in if he's if he's hitting third, but that offense. But it's not like we don't have anyone else who can drive people in behind him. You know, we still have Marcelo Zuna, we still have Darno, Dansby. I kind of just like Freddie in that spot. And also, he, he was the, I mean, MV, you know, we, we all shit on subjective awards on this show. MVP, you know, who gives a shit. But regardless if he won the MVP or not, that was one of Freddie Freeman's best seasons, if not the best season of his life last year, hitting in the two-hole. So I would, I would just say just keep him there, for Christ's sake. I mean, you can make the same argument for Acuna. You know, um, you know hitting... You know, he kept wanting to hit him fourth because he wanted to drive in more people. But he was the spark that lit the fire of that offense. And it's a little different because Freddie has experience hitting the three-hole. He's been very successful hitting the three-hole pretty much since Chipper retired. So it's it's not the end of the world. It probably doesn't warrant this long of a discussion. But I, I like that off that lineup where it was. And so be it if he gets a couple of less opportunities to drive people in. But you're also and- not killed if you put Ozzy in that second hole. Or Dansby. I would prefer Ozzy because he has a higher on base clip throughout the course of his career. But... You know, it's not the end of the world either way. I, I will say, and what we know about Snit is if we go on an extended slump, he's going to mix the lineup up. He's he oh, showed yeah. that the last couple of years. So, you know, Freddie could be, if it's not working, he'll go back to it just like he did with Acuna a couple That's years true. ago. Yeah. We have to get out of the mindset, Adam, that we actually have a coach that makes adjustments. It's it's weird, isn't it, to have, to have a, a head coach or, or manager make adjustments during the season? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I, I, I thought you As just had to, fan at least. I thought you had to lock into something at the beginning of the year and roll with that. Right, and no, no matter, matter if it's happens. working or not, you keep doing the same thing pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So, Brian Snitker. Yep. 
He'll make it happen. But that was the interesting thing about Dan Quinn that first year. <laughs> Not going Dan Quinn t- tangent, but that just made me think about it. He did make how, an how adjustment. How long are we going to talk about Dan Quinn? A couple I, I can't more, escape a couple him. More, a couple more years, right? Yeah, probably. But I, it was interesting that first year he did make adjustments in the sense that he fired, or he didn't fire, but he took over play calling duties from the our defensive coordinator at the time. I think Richard Smith was his name. And then the defense took off. And then he didn't seem to make adjustments after that. Not saying that you'd have to do something as radical, but we never saw a turnaround in a season like the way we did that that Super Bowl run season. Where that Dan also might have just been a that might have been a fluke, and it wasn't anything to do with Dan Quinn calling plays. It was just the players had played ten games together at this point and were starting to gel naturally. Yeah, it, it, you know? it could have been. We we don't know, but I'm just saying you could look at that as being really the only adjustment Dan Quinn made other than firing coaches um, and then promoting himself or bringing back Dirk Cutter, which was just a horrible move. That actually worked, an adjustment. Also, that was made in season and not after a season was already freaking lost. So, Sure. Uh, Graham, you can't, you can't hit me. We're in Brian Snitker talk, and then you go to Dan Quinn like that. My, my brain's not prepared for that. We, we do – very calculated transitions on this show. Right. They're, yeah, we can't schedule weeks in advance. Sure, sure, sure. I know. I know. You can't go off script. Talking like about that. more than one subject at a time is is, is a challenging thing for this show. Well, because because then, like in my head now, I'm like, so are we on Falcons now? Are we going to discuss this new punter the Falcons just signed? Oh hell and, yeah, brother! And is it because that they heard me when I said Sterling Hoffrichter is terrible? And why? Yeah, why did was, we? <laughs> why did we invest did a the, draft pick in this guy? The final gl- nail in the I, coffin of the Thomas Dimitrov era. Wasn't that the last draft pick? Yeah, yeah, I think it That's was. That's hilarious. That was a punter. It was the last draft pick, and he sucked. Well, I, 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 I just couldn't believe with how negative the Falcons fan base is about everything and how quick we are to jump on faults in our team that no one was talking about how we have, like, the second-to-worst punter in the league. How, how does that yeah, just slip which under made, the radar? Which really put a lot of pressure on the defense. Yeah. So we're we're bringing in another undrafted rookie, well, second year player that didn't make a team last year out of Wake Forest. He had a cool name though. Do you remember that? It was like Dom something. Yeah, it was Dom Maggio, which is a pretty cool name. So I can always get on board with a kicker with a cool name. So Dom Maggio, Young Waku. I think we're in business there if we go with this guy. And it's the first, I believe, unless I'm mistaken, the first free agent signing for one Terry Fontenot. That's a big time signing. You, you got to right. dip. So your- now we get to really evaluate if he's truly an elite evaluator of pro personnel, solely based off one move for a punter. You know, you, you got to dip your toes in the water before you you make that big deal. Right. Another move the Falcons made today that we're recording this at least on March 9th, 2021 is the release of James Carpenter. So with this move, we save almost $4 million from the salary cap. And, um, you know, obviously this comes off some other cuts that happened with Ricardo Allen, Allen Bailey. We also are not going to franchise tag Keanu Neal. So I don't know if that means his time here is done, but this was kind of expected in the sense that, we have to cut cap space because of Thomas and his terrible cap management, and hard decisions have to be made. Fontenot's doing that. 
and uh, this was not a hard decision because Carpenter was an extreme disappointment and only started a combined 24 games the last two seasons and was not very good. So, once again, it was a desperation move because we needed help protecting Matt Ryan. Let's just go spend a bunch of money on free agent guards, and Thomas and his atrocious scouting team did their, you know, once again, who cannot evaluate in the trenches. I'll never get over this until we actually get football back again of, of shitting on Dimitrov and Quinn. Once again, gotta, gotta, gotta clean up this cap, man. We're still 15 to 20 million, I think, over the cap. So there, more cuts are coming. This is not the end. Cuts, contract restructures. I, I will say, though, I saw it was like all the teams that are in the red in the NFL. I think we were like 46 million in the red or something like that. So that's a lot of money to clear up. So when I, when I see people talking about potential Falcons free agents, I don't know where this money's coming from. But the Saints have more than double in the red that we that we are. Like I don't think we're 46. I think we're like I think we're in the 15 to 20 million range. Cuz we started the offseason I think 23 million over. I'm not sure where you're getting your your info from. Or something else a, has changed. It's a week old info that was just in my head and I was trying to recall it. Didn't think that you would uh call me out on being wrong. You know how we try to be as factually accurate as possible on this show, Adam. I apologize. Like, like I said at the <laughs> beginning of the show, we're, we're better than that. I, I can't just throw things out there anymore. Right. And hope they're going to slip under the radar. But We've the, never the, mispronounced names given the wrong days uh, that are scheduled for games or been inaccurate about any cap space or budgetary limitations for any of our, our teams. We've never started talking about Dan Quinn and the Falcons in the middle of the Brave segment. We, we've never done yeah. any of these things. No. And the, it's, it's, it's just absurd that it, it's, hap- it's all happening today. The point being, Graham, the Saints <laughs> definitely were double more over the cap, if not more than double, than we are. Yeah, so the Saints are yeah, 10 times they more are screwed. screwed. Yeah. Well, not 10 times, but like at least 2.5 times. Like five times, like five times over where we are. It's bad. Yeah, you're, but you're exactly right to get back to your original point. In terms of free agency, we are going to have to sign some free agents, but they are not going to be studs. They are going to be guys that can hopefully do a decent enough job of whatever their position is. And But, you know, we're not going to go out and get – I don't even know if Von Miller's a free agent, but we're not going to get a big-name free agent. You're never probably never heard of this guy unless you're just a diehard NFL fan or if you follow another team that he played on. So it's this. I I just have a feeling that we're about to enter. We're about to enter a big rebuild for this franchise, and it doesn't. It's starting now. I mean, it's not going to look like a rebuild yet. It's going to look like a retooling, to use that old John Coppola phrase and John Hart phrase from when the Braves were rebuilding. But I think this is a rebuild. I think this is going to take. It's not going to be as long as the Braves, hopefully. But it's going to take two or three years to get right. Your, your window on, on Matt Ryan and Julio Jones winning a Super Bowl is done. And the pain will continue for the next two three years. We will not, I don't think we're going to be very, we're not going to be very competitive. I hope I'm wrong about that. But I think that's the direction that we have to go in. We've got to free up cap space. We've got to have, and we really got to have good drafts. Like, we can no longer miss in the trenches anymore. Fontenot's got to nail that shit. Wherever, wherever that first-round pick goes, even if it's not in the trenches, the rest, not saying the rest have to be in the trenches either, 
but he has to be a better evaluator of talent in the trenches than Thomas. Are we will just continue to be doing the same shit that we've been doing for the last three or four years? Just mediocre to shitty football. Well, yeah, I think drafting is the main way that they're going to have to build this team for this year, which I think it's pretty likely that we probably will and maybe should trade out of that number four draft slot and acquire some more draft capital so we can actually put a roster together. And, you know, I've seen a lot of the the new hot name for the Falcons to take is Kyle Pitts, who's the tight end out of Florida, who's supposed to be like a Greg Kittle slash like Kelsey type potential where I know your gut reaction is going to be to freak out for taking a tight end. But if Fontenot says he's taken best available, maybe we can trade back a couple maybe we can trade back a couple of slots for one of those teams that wants to take a quarterback this year, get another draft pick in the second round, and I would actually be cool taking a game changer like Kyle Pitts and then having another pick in the second round to build in the trenches. Yeah, I mean if that's the strategy and they don't think any of the quarterbacks available are going to you know, eventually take the franchise over the top, or they want to just acquire more draft picks. I think there's a lot of ways to skin this cat in terms of if you're drafting, if you're the general manager of the Falcons, there are a lot of ways to go about what you're going to do. Yeah, I do not envy Terry Fontenot right now. Yeah, I was just going to say, you want to talk so, about a man with a lot of pressure on him. Like, he's got a fan base who's just, you know, that we're going to freak out no matter what he does, but it's such a huge decision just because it's it's – we're not going to draft fourth very often. Hopefully this is the last time we're picking number four overall. So you, you cannot blow it, especially with your first time drafting. Like whatever decision he makes, he better be damn confident that it's going to work out for us. Yeah, I wouldn't say that we won't draft fourth again. I don't know. I just, I'm very pessimistic about where this franchise is going potentially. But – I do agree in the sense of nailing this first pick, whatever it is, is critical. It's super cr- It's just like when Thomas came in and drafted Matt initially. Nailed that pick. Had the most successful run in Falcons franchise history. You can bitch all you want about Matt Ryan. You cannot deny he's the best franchise quarterback we've ever had. You cannot deny the success that the franchise overall has had is the best in its history, too. For as much shit as we give Thomas, that pick transcended the franchise even though we've gone through a lot of a lot of crap over the years, for sure, for a lot of his other stuff. But, yeah, you've got to nail this pick. Absolutely have to nail it. You know what? It's, it's, it's just like that all over again. I'll, I'll take it back. We don't. It's not even the first pick we need to nail because TD had some decent first-round picks that have worked out for us. It's those second- and third-round picks that he's got to nail. Like That's a good point. Th- yep. Think of all the second-round busts that we have over the years. Like That's where you build a team. And especially with being so high, like we're going to be picking early in the second round. So that's essentially a first round pick. So those are the ones that you can't screw up. Yeah, you can't be doing pariah Jerry kind of draft picks and, and people like that. I think I'll speak more to my original point. If we draft, if we're drafting a quarterback in that position, you, you can't fuck that up. You fuck that up. Kiss our goose goodbye for a long time. Kiss our goose goodbye. Yeah. The goose will be flayed. Spadge cocked, and God knows what else will happen to that poor goose. But it ain't going to be pretty if we draft a quarterback and that quarterback does not pan out. Yeah, especially because I mean, that's that's a future pick. So uh, you know you can get someone who's going to contribute on the team right now at number four. So if you're drafting for the future, it better be the guy. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's sort of what, what I was speaking to. But I agree with you also that the rest of their draft is absolutely critical, potentially, especially if you're doing that draft down thing and you get the Kyle Pitt guy who's supposed to be a game-changing tight end. You got and then you got to turn your attention to the trenches, one would think, and solidify that as much as possible. So yeah, the draft up and down the board is very important because you're exactly right. We finished fourth. We're going to have high picks throughout the entire draft this year. So this 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 Fontenot thing, I'm, I am excited though. This is this is I've never looked forward to an NFL draft more in probably seven or eight years. It's it's definitely a fascinating story for the Falcons because I mean. I'm I'm just sitting here as you're talking, thinking about Coach Smith just licking his lips with Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts. Obviously, no running back. That's problematic. But like, there's just so many ways this could go where I would be okay with it. Like taking the best O lineman on the on the board. I'm okay with that. Take the take your boy the linebacker. I'm okay with that. Like, there's. A lot of ways to go. A lot of ways to screw it up, but a lot of good options out there. And that's unfortunately what sort of happens when you're when you're inheriting a team that's in disarray at many positions. You know, you have a lot of options. It's just, and I also don't think you're going to be able to fill all those options in the draft immediately. It's going to be like just just nail nail half of it if you can. You know, that that would be great if we could just get. Guys who can come in here and immediately contribute. They don't even have, have to be studs yet or anything like that, but you could see the potential. You're not going to hit on all. No, no one hits on every single draft pick. Um, but just if we can just get half our really good to great players or will become really good to great players, that'll go a long way in shortening this this rebuild we're, we're, we're in right now. No punters in the seventh round, please. Yeah. I think with, with getting that uh, modern... Montenegro, what's his name? <laughs> Maggio. Dom. Once again, we're messing up names again. Dom Maggio. Get it straight, Graham. Dom Maggio. Yeah, I think that move probably ensures that we will not be drafting a punter. Okay, that, that is fair. That That is a statement that we can safely say that we won't draft a punter. Yeah, I think you can take that one in the bank if you're if you're betting in Vegas about the Falcons are going to draft a punter or not. Yep. I don't have much else for the Falcons. I didn't even think we were going to talk about the Falcons, really, other than mentioning Carpenter. But just sort of, we're getting closer to the draft. What are we, a month away? A little over a month away now? Yeah, so it's, it's the in, wheels are starting to spin. It's in April. Yeah, it's it's coming up. Yeah, I, I was not expecting Falcons in the middle of our Braves segment either. Are, are we finished up on the Braves as well? Yeah, I think we're finished up on, on two-thirds of our teams here. Okay. Take us through Los Hawks, Adam. The new Nate McMillan-led Hawks who look a lot better so far yeah it was a good start to the nate mcmillan era a great start really there the first game was a 94 80 80 that's correct win over the heat it was a real slog of a game as i recall this was last week now we're we're nearing the end of the all-star break but you know the defensive effort was certainly there it was a combination of the heat sucking as well but where do, you, where do you see us only giving up 80 points, Graham? When did that happen in the Lloyd Pierce era? Never. Exactly. <laughs> but the real exciting game was the last game, uh, 115-112 over the Magic. And this was a game that we trailed by as much as 19 points, I believe. And we were down 16 with five and a half minutes to go. 
the only reason I was still watching is I think I was watching a show during the first half. So I was like, yeah, I'll catch the last like little bit of the game. And we just went off like shooting threes. We went on a 21-4 run to close that game out. All of those points being scored on threes. So I believe it was a Gallinari three followed by a John Collins three followed by a Tony Snell three followed by a Trey Young three that got us back in the game. And then Trey Herter and Snell each had another three. And it was it was just ridiculous. It was the most fun. But there's been a lot of fun Hawks games, believe it or not, in our 16 wins. A lot of those have been very fun. But this one was just awesome because it was just like fresh start with McMillan. You know, obviously it's not Lloyd Pierce's fault that they didn't go on a 21-4 run to end a game. But it was just like could not have been better timing. And what we were saying last week about the reason they needed to make the move on Lloyd Pierce so quickly is because those games mattered. The Heat and the Magic are just above us in the standings in the Eastern Conference. So to go 2-0 and in those games versus 0-2 puts a whole new light on that first half of Hawks basketball and, you know, gives us something. We're only, I think, a game and a half out of the sixth spot in the Eastern Conference now. So it changes everything. Like, it's just two games, but it's more than that. Yeah, I think it does a lot for the conference going forward to have a comeback like that. You know, when we're so used to being on the other end, blowing fourth quarter leads, 11 fourth quarter leads blown during the course of the season. And having Trey hit a big shot at the end of the game, I also think is big because he has struggled in late game situations all year, only shooting 38.5% from the floor and only 20% from three with nine turnovers and, and late game scenarios in the fourth quarter. So to see him make a clutch shot that propelled a victory, I think is big for him as well. Yeah, and he was great in that game, like 32 points, four of seven from three. And he, he started off hot as well. Like he scored 10 of the Hawks' first 20 points, which if you've been watching recently, he'll kind of wait until the second half to do anything. So that was great to see. And the other huge thing from these two games was Bogdan Bogdanovich was back. And you could see the difference that he makes for that second unit. Because I think when he came in, I kind of just thought of him more as like a shooter. But he he's a legit playmaker, and he creates shots for the other guys. And that is what that second unit has lacked so much. So, like, none of his numbers looked that incredible against the Heat or the Magic. But he's kind of on – I think he played 15 minutes in that first game and 20 in the second. He's still on a minutes restriction, but just to see him out there – it makes us so much deeper. You can see the pieces starting to come back a little bit, even though we're still missing, well, now Reddish, Herder, Chris Dunn, of course. Like, these guys are still out. But Bogdanovich is a huge part of that. And Gallinari looked awesome in that game against the Magic as well. Offensively, and even his defense was much improved. So you're starting to see the pieces come together, and it's just so conceivable to see us still be in a playoff game because of how shitty the Eastern Conference is. Yeah, and I think everything you're saying is is is, is great, especially for Bogdan to come in there and be. And that was something he said in his press conference. He said, I don't think people realize that I can be a distributor of the ball. You know, that I can be a playmaker with a ball in my hands and not just 
for shooting purposes. So to see him go out there, I think you said that first game, he had four assists in 15 minutes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that's great. So that means that if he had played, you know, 35 minutes, he probably has nine dishes or something like that. So if that was that, at least that'd be how the pace he would be on. So the fact that he's doing that right when he comes back and making a difference there, I think, is is critical. Because you're right, when that second unit is in there, it, it, and the only time I've watched a game this year, uh, or when I've listened, it's just everything just comes to a screeching halt. And hopefully that means Trey can get some more rest and not have to play, you know, damn 40 minutes a game. Well, and, and you got to think, like, once Reddish and Hunter come back as well, like, some of the guys starting are getting pushed back into that second unit. And Tony Snell, since this was obviously a Brad Rowland stat, and I did not punch the numbers to figure this one out. Since February 1st, Tony Snell is shooting 64.5% from three. Like, yeah, he's been big. The guy is lights out. So, like, he, he, I think he had 11 points in that game that went over the Magic, but he was just. He's money, man. He's three from four in that game, and, like, he's just a classic spot-up shooter. So, like, if you can get a guy like that on your second unit, it's just huge. Yeah, and he's shooting 56% overall from three this year. I mean, he's, he's just been just killing it out there. And he's another guy, right, who was injured who's now come in and making a, making a difference. So, hope you know, it looks like the treading water thing is slowly starting to, you know, we're, we're hopefully gain over the, the major – hurdles and bumps that this team has endured pierce is gone so hopefully you know that can clear up a little bit the chemistry issues the team was having that we we talked about last week and then i think you know we still got to see more improvement from from other guys though you know when cam reddish comes back he had a non-surgical procedure to his achilles i think either uh today or yesterday um so he'll be out for a week but when he comes back you know is he going to start to take the next step a little bit or just show even just a little bit of improvement offensively without, you know, apparently Lloyd Pierce being an asshole to him. Um, you know, hopefully with a different philosophy there, what's going to happen with Trey young. Is he going to get better at moving without the ball? You know, is this team's defense going to continue to get better? Like when they shut down, you know, allowing the heat only to score 80 points to have a normal looking NBA game of a 94, 80 score. You know, there's just, a, there's a few things, to monitor and watch as Nate McMillan comes in, not only just with the wins, but how the team is winning. Like, can we see that the team do that again where they're down, you know, late in the game and then come back and, and deliver the death blow? You know, just seeing, but, but seeing the energy and reading about the energy since McMillan took over and those other two games in which he coached, it's only five games. So it's not a big sample size, but you got to be at least a little encouraged by what by what you're seeing right now. Especially since that magic game, Capella was out as well. He had some like yeah, that's that's huge right foot that's soreness. So it was always that was always the excuse, right? X, player X isn't isn't healthy or isn't in there. So how can we win? Not that the Hawks ever said that, but that's what some people would say. It's just like well, the injuries, the injuries, the injuries. It's like there's enough talent on this team to compete, particularly with the fucking Magic. Like come on, right? Yeah, Magic. We're like it's not that impressive of a win. They're coming off four losses and they've been pretty rough recently, but. Still, good fight, down 19 with your starting center out to not give up and come back and get it done. Obviously, we can't expect to shoot like that every game, but it's good to see that we're capable of it and that they continue to fight. So, fantastic yeah, start to the McMillan era. Look forward to this second half. 
see uh, where it goes from here. So the, the one thing I wanted to talk about that may shape this team's playoff fortune is a brutal eight-game West Coast road trip. Starts on Tuesday, March 16th. You visit the Houston Rockets, then Oklahoma City Thunder, then the Lakers, the Clippers, the Kings, the Golden State Warriors, the Nuggets, and the Suns. And the Spurs. Forgot about the Spurs. If you want to say that the Pelicans are on the West Coast, which they aren't, but they are a little west of us, the Pelicans. So from the 16th through the 2nd, it's all away games. That That's going to tell you what this team is. But besides that, I know we have like the fifth easiest schedule, but that, that stretch is brutal, and that's very early on, so you, you don't want to bury yourself even more than we are already are, obviously. That's just something to keep your eyes on starting next week in terms of that. I think that would tell the, the tale of the season. If, if they can go four and four, even three and five, and just hang in there during that stretch, you know, I think they'll be okay. But if they, they do something terrible, like go 0 and 8 or 1 7 or something, it's, it's, it's not to say that you're, you're screwed in terms of getting the playoffs, but that could really, that could, you're right, that could bury it a little bit, if not completely. But overall, Graham, yeah, we get through that. It's looking decent for these Hawks. Like, we, we, I mean, we could be as high as a freaking four seed still. But yeah, which is crazy to think yeah, about. Just got to get through that. But what exciting times overall for all of Atlanta sports fans. Like, you got the Hawks in the second half with a chance to make the playoffs for the first time in what, four years? Three years? Four years. I think 2017 was the last year we made it. So we got that. We got the Braves coming off three straight division titles. Season's about to gear up. Falcons with a brand new coach and GM draft coming up. A lot to look forward to. A lot to talk about here in the next few weeks. I'm right there with you, sir, and we'll continue to talk about it next week on a new episode of Atlanta's Own. We want to thank you guys for hanging out with us tonight and listening to the show, and we will holler at you all next week. So until then, rise up, chop on, stay in brotherhood, unite and conquer, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospitomership. Hospitomership. What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Adam Kalal, and I'm a... Oh, sorry. I I just got everything completely screwed up in my head now.